Welcome to Celtics Hub Podcast. This is ridiculous. Hosted by... Uh, give me a break. Brendan Jackson. Pick and pop till you drop. And Ryan DeGamma. Save the DeGamma for your mama. That's how smug these guys can be. Catch me posted up in the background, ready to drop a fat sand, flip it, get styled, and put it back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here comes Scotty. Here comes Scotty. Yeah, you can catch me spreading bangers on toast, using your last hope. Does it mean to wash my mouth out with soap? Yeah, 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 yeah. Here comes Scotty. Here comes Scotty. All right, Ryan, good to be back. Good to hear your voice. Uh, good to know that you and all of Canada, or at least all of Calgary, are doing well with the coronavirus. Um, How's it going, man? How are you? Yeah, it's been, I mean, I don't think I've had a good answer to that question in four months, um, because I feel like you have to consider about 18 different variables to answer how are you right now. Um, For sure. And it's been as chaotic here as it's, I'm sure, been there and disruptive. Um, And I'm in a group of people, like sort of my closest friends here, and even friends in other places, where every time the phone rings, even beyond the virus, I feel like there's bad news to share. I've got friends who have got, you know, family members who've been diagnosed with various ailments and diseases, um, people getting laid off, which is not uncommon, uh, relationships breaking up. Every time I answer the phone at this point, I assume it's bad news. So 2020 really kind of, you almost have to tip your cap to this year because I'm like, wow, well done. Well done. Like it's, <laughs> you are, you are really doing some solid work. Can you believe we're six months into like the worst year of our lives? It's crazy. Is that what you would I mean, for you, that's a bit of a weird thing though, right? Because you've had a pretty big positive life event this year. Yep, and then I against this child. backdrop of really <laughs> horrific global crisis. Yeah, for me, it's been a little easier to see the silver linings uh, just because I, while I know people that have contracted uh, COVID, I, no one I know in my sort of immediate circle has died, which is amazing. I feel very fortunate for that. Um, But my wife and I are very anxious because, as you know, our son was born on March 12th. Well, I'm going to get this wrong. March 11th. He's a 311 baby, come original. Um, And on the 12th was when it exploded in Boston. So it's kind of interesting. It was funny when we, I I may have said this on, you know, to you before, sorry, but we went into the hospital. Everything was like sort of normal. While we were in the hospital, I was getting texts uh, from my friends being like, things are getting crazy out here. Let me know if you want me to run to the grocery store, things like that. And, uh, And I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And then the day we're leaving, I go to get the car and I walk back in with the carrier and they like stop me at the door and they're like asking me all these questions. And it was funny. One of their questions was like, so have you been around anyone, you know, with COVID-19? And I go, "Uh, I've been here for three days. So you tell me. Uh, And they both laughed. They all laughed and and let me go. And we were lucky. We got out and uh, everyone was fine and healthy. Um, so obviously that's a silver lining. Other silver lining is the fact that in the U S I'm not sure how it is in Canada, but in the U S we don't really have a good, uh, paternity leave or maternity leave. It's not really guaranteed. It's getting better in Massachusetts starting in 2021. Right. Uh, but for, you, you know, I, 
I had to use PTO. So right now I'm on current currently on leave eight weeks. So I, I'm thankful for my company for that. Um, but I'm using my own earned hours. Uh, and when I go back, quote unquote, I will be at home indefinitely. So that means I will be relying on my um, his grandparents, my son's grandparents, my parents to provide childcare. Uh, but I'll be there. So that kind of like, you know, connection time, that kind of growth with my son has been invaluable. So that's the the biggest silver lining I can draw from this experience. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Um, and we will talk about basketball here pretty soon. Uh, but it's pretty easy to find silver linings if your life hasn't completely fallen apart. And everybody's been affected negatively. But man, there's a lot of people who are really struggling in this. And I think there's there's a lot of quiet misery happening that's being, you know, kind of supported a little bit by various government programs, but only enough that people can just barely keep the lights on. And so I think if you are not in that situation and you're not, you haven't contracted the virus or nobody in your family or that your friend group has, like, I think it's easy to look at the situation and go, it could be a whole lot fucking worse. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and everyone who's lost their job, I know you mentioned it before, but like, you know, I feel so badly for everyone, you know, working in the service industry or any industry that requires you to be uh, in person on site. Like I work a computer desk job. I Before COVID-19, I could have done my complete job from my house. And so, you know, I, I don't even know half of the pain people are going through. So, oh, yeah. Uh, before before COVID-19, I did do my entire job from my house. <laughs> so so very little has changed for me, uh, except actually, you know, if you want to talk about timing. Right around the time that you were having a baby, <laughs> my girlfriend and I split up. Oh, no. And she moved back east, so I've been basically alone in a house with... I did get the dog, which is kind of a silver lining there, over the last three months. So it was a really weird time to have those two things happen at the same time. Oh, man. That sucks. I'm sorry. We oh, should no, have it's really fine. done Celtics Hub after dark. We should have done weeks on relationship advice. Clearly, yeah. yeah well, we may get to that before the, uh, before the summer's <laughs> over. All right, so thanks to the, as the winning plays our sister pod does, uh, thanks to the first responders, thanks for, I mean, uh, the frontline workers, thanks for everyone, healthcare workers um, that are working hard to keep us safe, really appreciate that stuff, really appreciate all the people uh, taking this seriously and social distancing. I think that's a good thing they do, I'd like to do that too, as my wife is a frontline worker, um, so I appreciate that. But anyway, let's talk about this crazy thing that they're trying to do in Florida, the NBA is trying to restart the season, and they apparently have. Their, a schedule has been released. Um, there is a bubble going up around, you know, quote-unquote bubble, going up around Disney in Orlando. Ryan, is this a good idea or a bad idea? Binary. Um, well, I mean, at this point, I think the cards are on the table. When you invite the Washington Wizards into your bubble... <laughs> You're really, like, I mean, you're making some really clear choices about revenue. And without without arguing that, you know, revenue is important, obviously. And this, this does have real impacts, you know, what they're able to kind of reclaim out of this kind of lost season. But it's very clear they're making a lot of choices, not with safety as the primary interest. And we can get into that a little bit. But I think, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've been listening to different people who have... Sp- talk to epidemiologists, say that, you know what, the NBA's plan 
to the extent that you can have a plan that is is not bulletproof but is like as close to it as you can get has been like they're the it's a pretty defensible plan they're doing the best thing they can except perhaps by choosing to set it in florida right i think i think it was john hollinger who suggested on twitter that you know what they should have done it in hawaii which does make a lot of sense when you think about it right like if you could get yourself into a really low caseload area you could absorb a lot more potential holes in your bubble with less risk but Obviously, that's not going to be the case down in Orlando. Uh, is it a good idea? Probably not. Um, is it a workable idea? Maybe. Um, it's certainly going to be... I'd certainly bet on the NBA before I bet on baseball. That's for sure. I don't think baseball <laughs> is going to get through a season the way they're they're starting up. Uh, how, how do you look at this? Are you... Do you see this as, like, just a callous money grab? Are you... Like, are you you know what, it's worth it to try and establish some normalcy and get some games played again because most of the players want to play? Like, where's your head? Um, I think the whole, you know, the Adam Silver's quote about, like, doing it for the people is malarkey. Of course, uh, yeah. I, it's it's ridiculous pandering. Um, they're doing it for the money, but not, and it's not, I wouldn't even call it callous. I really believe these people are worried about the league long-term and the next CBA and stuff. And I think those are real concerns because those impact players, those impact teams, those impact owners. And even though these people are wildly rich, it's still an ecosystem that needs to function and taking off, you know, a full season or would have lasting implications as we've seen in previous lockout seasons. All of that being said, I think this is a disaster of an idea. And I think, uh, to your point, putting it in uh, Orlando, Florida, where it's seeing just a whole surge of uh, new cases and the whole attitude down there is really bad among the people about how, you know, how serious to take this. Um, The leadership there, the government leadership there is awful. Uh, It's just a really, really bad idea. And, that to me might be the most callous part of it is their part, you know, the NBA's partnership with Disney. That to me may be the the worst part about it because that seems so transparent. It's like, well, why would we do it in Orlando where it's so terrible? It's like, oh, because we have this massive TV deal with Disney and ABC. So, anyway, um, that I think is the is the worst part about it. To your point, I hadn't considered putting it in Hawaii. I'd have to really unpack that but something i think to your point again some if you put it somewhere where the caseload is low where there isn't a lot of through traffic you know like iowa there's probably not a lot of people going in and out of iowa no offense to tom westerholm our friend tom westerholm's home state uh but something like that would could be much more workable than than this i it's just i think it's a i think it's a bad idea yeah, and I think the thing that I that I look at, and again, we will get to basketball. The thing that I look at when I when I look at the situation is the NBA is doing a really good job it seems like with the actual players and the personnel, the folks they're responsible for in terms of testing. Like I mean, it's again, it's imperfect, but with that in mind, they're probably doing about everything they can with these guys. Like when the guidelines actually include guidelines for playing cards after hours and tossing the pack away, like they've thought through a lot of this stuff. What is a lot more problematic to me is the Disney employees who won't be tested every day, who are being asked to kind of work in this environment. And maybe, maybe many of them would like to, 
but they're not being afforded the same protections as the players. And it's a really clear indication of the upstairs downstairs nature of this restart. And that's the thing that really bothers me is I think if we're going to do this to make money, Disney and or the NBA need to be doing everything they can to make sure these people are not required to self-police for symptoms, go work in unsafe environments, engage in ways that are demonstrably less safe than the players themselves. Like that's that's the thing that really I find problematic. And I think that's sort of the the backdrop of the entire year when you think about the protests on the street, when you think about um, the income inequality we've been wrestling with for the last few years, it's really kind of like a two-world situation here, and I just kind of don't like how this looks and what it might eventually create. Exactly, and then it's so funny you say how it looks because it's like it's still going to exist, right? Like even of without course. COVID nineteen, we still have you know two different types of people, and probably more. You know, it's probably a whole caste system, really. But the optics of it is terrible. Um, you would, th- I mean, there are like cruise ship employees that stay away from their families for months at a time. You could, I'm sure you could find people willing to remain in the bubble for two months or however long the season lasts. And they're not. And I understand the desire to have people, you know, give people the freedom, but it's just, this to me is like fraught with peril. Um, yeah, why couldn't why couldn't you run a group of people in on the service side for three weeks? They're totally ensconced in the bubble that time. Then they go back out, never to return, or to return after three weeks with their families. Testing on every re-entry, but that doesn't require them to be there for two or three months. But at the same time, affords them the protections of the bubble that the NBA players and and personnel will get. Right. And the only answer to that is it's expensive and there's logistics. And that is, that's the callous nature of this. And it's just it's it's frustrating. Um, but what so what do you think if this restart actually happens, do you think that it will the season will actually end with a champion crowned or, you, you know, is there something do you see something on the horizon where something catastrophic can happen? Because literally all it would take is for one player to to die. And it would be something that no like people would never forget. Again, I'm not a medical professional like your wife. Um it seems like the odds of a player getting sick, that sick are probably pretty low. I think something catastrophic probably looks more like one of two things. One, it's it's sort of one of the supporting personnel, somebody who's older, somebody with a pre-existing condition, somebody who's there and isn't an, you know, a 20-something athlete in world-class shape could get really really sick and suffer long-term consequences. But from like a basketball point of view, the thing they're being very cagey about is what happens, and let's pick the Celtics just to make it as grisly as possible. What happens if four of the top six players of the Celtics end up testing positive for the virus in the second round of the playoffs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And done. They're just done. You know, the Celtics are done. And then if they're, say they're rolling, you know, say they happen to be rolling. Through the oh, they'll season. be rolling for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> say then there's an even bigger asterisk on anything that happens after that, right? Like, and there already is going to be a huge asterisk on, and I can't say that word on the spot to save my life, 
But anyone who wins the championship this year, it'll just be a ha-ha, nice job. Unless it's the Celtics, and then it's absolutely true and real, and I don't want to hear anything else. Yeah, raise that banner. Um, although, you know, I think, like, it's probably fair to say, like, this is going to be one of the more grueling mental tests for a player to kind of, if you win the title, and you haven't faced teams completely depleted because of positive COVID tests, like, that's that's not... Uh, an easy feat I think like I like I don't think there should be an asterisk if you get to the finals and the team you're playing is completely obliterated because of people who are having to quarantine that's where I think that asterisk might come up so I think it's like it might happen it might not happen um see though I though I think there we're gonna see a lot of really bad basketball that's my biggest prediction of this we're gonna see a lot of really bad basketball it's gonna feel like preseason basketball um because not only have these players had this had to deal with this pause, but they are also probably really concerned about their families and about everything else. There's, you know, Damian Lillard has been like, why are we doing this? I'm not playing. Avery Bradley, um, his child has a... Right. You know, yeah, so he's just, you know, he's, he's out, and I respect that. And it's like, I, I think we're just going to see, like... A really bad product and another reason why i don't think it should happen i mean i miss basketball just as much as anyone else but man this just like i predict that we're gonna see a bunch of bad basketball and we're gonna see a lackluster finals championship crowned and everyone was everyone's gonna look back and be like why did we just do that why did we do this this don't is stupid. don't they get back into game shape and eventually though like i assume the first week will be you know bloody uh but at certain point like how long is training camp now um, no, I mean they they eventually will get back into game shape, but they're playing in empty arenas. They're play like it will never feel it will never have that feel of regular season or playoffs. It's just that's that's why I think you know from a shape perspective it'll be fine, but it'll probably just feel like they're doing an open run. Do you have an opinion about piping in audience noise into the telecast or listening to the guys on the court? Yeah, I'm. I've read both sort of arguments for that, and I'm kind of on the side of pumping in crowd noise just because I think it'll feel so weird. I don't really, you know, I've played enough basketball. I've heard, I've been close enough to the court, you know, humble brag, close enough to the court, um, enough times to hear people calling out defensive switches and stuff. I don't need to hear barking about, you know, which side of screen is on. Um, so that, that perspective I'm, I'm okay with. So I I think if you're playing in an empty arena and you don't have the players mic'd up better to hear that kind of stuff, it's going to feel like a G league game or or a D league game from 10 years ago. Um, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting, right? All sort of the wired for sound stuff they do on broadcast now, like very clearly we get the most sanitized bite-sized, mm-hmm. neutralized versions of that stuff. But if they were to actually do that with the players in real time, like, you'd have to think, like, that's another thing on a guy's mind who's playing that you really don't want. Like, what am I saying? How am I saying it? Like, you really want guys to be as fluid and and natural in that environment as they can be, given all the other changes, to to put mics on them as well, or to, to for them to know that they're being mic'd and it's going to be picked up. Um, yeah, that doesn't strike me as ideal. And what's kind of weird is like the clips I've seen of soccer from Europe where they have piped in crowd noise. I'm like, this is surprisingly effective. 
Oh, of course, because especially from t- on TV, I think it's obviously terrible if you're there and you're hearing piped in crowd noise. But if you're on TV, the crowd, I don't know about you, but I barely look at the crowd or register the crowd. The noise to me is basketball. It's like, you know, rustling of fans and shouting mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, squeaker, <laughs> sneaker squeaking like that to me is basketball sound. And. That's why if you piped it in and everyone had the same sort of piped in, or maybe they did like <laughs> an average uh, playoff game from your home arena piped in, like I wonder if they got creative that way. Um, then I you won't. I don't think you'd even notice it if you were listening. Yeah, that's probably fair. And I think like again, these are sort of if if guys are healthy and they can play, and we avoid tragedy. I don't really care if there's piped in sound or we listen to the guys on the court. Like any of that stuff is fine with me. Like I'm like this is like you're kind of taking what you can get and trying to avoid disaster and that's sort of the story of the next 3 months, I think. Yeah. So, let's talk about who the Celtics are going to be playing. Um so I took a look at the schedule and Again, it's hard to give like an actual record prediction, although we're going to do it. <laughs> Um, because we don't know what the teams are going to look like. We don't know what players are going to eventually bow out like Avery Bradley did, that kind of thing. And we don't know what kind of shape they're going to be in. Um, but I read and agree that the Celtics have a very easy schedule. Um, they have Washington, your favorite team. They have Orlando. Uh, they have Portland where it's unclear whether Damian Lillard's going to be playing. It just seems like they're, and they have Memphis. They have they're playing a bunch of teams that they should beat like in a normal regular 2019, 2020 season. Yeah. They've got Milwaukee off the top and who knows what game one will look like Miami and Toronto. Everything else is stuff they should win. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Unless of course Brooklyn, you know, has Kevin Durant and uh, Kyrie Irving at full health, which according to the latest I saw, that's not going to happen. No, I think, I think Durant is like, officially like formally out. out yeah i think he yeah. said i'm not coming back all right good uh well i honestly i don't mean good for the celtics i literally mean good for him like he needs to make sure he's a hundred percent and i think that means being a hundred percent on a new season like I, I don't i wouldn't take that for granted um so I'm, I'm happy that he made that decision so i see only one potential loss and that's milwaukee and that's you know uh, and by loss, I really mean what they won't be favored in. Um, but first game, we don't know what it's going to look like. Who knows? They could run the table here. You know, what's interesting, right? So the Celtics are right now third in the conference as we left them back in March. 43-21. and 21. So they're three games ahead of Miami in the loss column. Miami is 41-24 and 24 in fourth place. And they're three games behind Toronto in the loss column, who's in second. So the likelihood is that the Celtics are going to finish the end of the seeding round in third place in the conference. And that was sort of problematic back in March in one way, in that it looked like maybe the Sixers were going to be, you know, the first round opponent. And the Sixers have had have done such a great job with the Celtics this year. Um, but now what's really interesting is there is no home court and Philly has been a monster at home, 29 and 2, but only 10 and 24 on the road. They are probably at better health than they would have been. 
you know, had the playoffs started on a normal schedule, they're probably in better shape, assuming nothing happens come this summer. But it's a really interesting situation here because regardless of how the seeding shakes out, part of this is going to come down to who can play in this really weird environment with no home court support um, against opponents that are wrestling with the same things they are, which is sort of the unusual environment and the physical stress of starting up after a long break. And, you know, I kind of wonder if this might be a good environment for the Celtics relative to how it is for other teams. Oh, I think there's no doubt. And I don't know if this is Homer or I, and by Homer, I really mean like, cause I follow them so closely, but I, they're uh, Celtics are a perfect mix of strong veterans like Kemba and Gordon Hayward that sort of should be able to t- tune that stuff out and young hungry dudes that appear to do everything right. Like Tatum and Brown. Um, so there's not a lot of worry in terms of whether or not they're going to take this seriously, at least as far as I can tell. But to your, what you were saying about the Sixers, like I can name like four dudes off the top of my head who like most likely to break the bubble rules. Like it's <laughs> gotta be Joel Embiid number one, right? Like, and is there any chance that dude comes back in shape? Like, I think there's maybe a 1% chance that dude comes back ready to play. Yeah, if I was Philly, I'd be nervous about that for sure. Uh, and I mean, there's no guarantee the Celtics will play the Sixers. They're, they've got the same record as the Pacers right now, but it looked like a really unfavorable first round matchup if that's how it landed. And now I, I really wonder if Boston would be in much better shape than their record against the Sixers suggests. Um, because I think you're right. I think you have, you know, the Celtics are so young at so many key positions that it's going to be easier for them to get their bodies back into gear. Although I want to talk about Tatum a little bit here in a second. Um, And I think there's a certain, you know, I think Brad's sort of steady hand on the wheel professionalism and his discipline, I think will really benefit them going into this, into this, into this August as the, as the games really kick back into gear. Whereas I think some teams, you know, with maybe a little less to prove in the playoffs, teams that are expected to go deep, they may feel like they can kind of ramp it up a little, a little less quickly and a little more in a little more relaxed fashion. I don't think that's Boston. I think Boston's going to come out of the gun, out of the gate, firing to the extent that they can. Yeah, I think so for sure. I think Boston probably realizes that, you know, if we are going to play well and have a chance, uh, we have to basically start off strong and maintain. We can't ease into anything, um, and. I think, you know, just like if you just look back at the growth that guys like Tatum and Brown have had this year, they've be, they've just been they've just impressed me so much sort of with their maturity in both the basketball sense and off the court as well. And I just think that if you had to ask a couple of young people to focus for two months and really bear down, I think you couldn't have asked for two better young people to do that. Are you worried about those stories from like six weeks ago that Tatum didn't have a hoop at his house? Absolutely not. I thought about that uh, as you were talking and talking about Tatum. Cause he, you know why he's so young. Like I remember being that young and I was, you know, I'm not a great basketball player, but I remember just being able like literally, Oh, I haven't played in a bit. 
and just grabbing the ball and making my first six shots. When you're that young, your body just responds. You have muscle memory. Like now I, I actually shot around for the first time since quarantine started and yesterday. And oh man, it was like, I was relearning how to walk. It was crazy. <laughs> and I just think the way my 34 year old body responds now is just completely different. Um, I don't, and, and also, you know, that doesn't even talk about how amazing Jason Tatum is anyway at his craft. So no, I'm not worried. I, I think literally he would need two hours to warm up and, and be back to where he was in terms of, you know, consistency and muscle memory and all that. He's taken enough shots, enough dribbles, enough, you know, sprints, changes of direction in his life already. You know, you're probably right. But I got to say, the last thing he needed in the middle of like, not even a breakout season, but it was like the breakout started in about January, where he elevated himself into probably the top 15 players in the league. Yep. Uh, the last thing he needed was three months off of that. Like what we wanted to do is ride that wave. Well, what's funny is that the story among stat heads were always was always, oh yeah, he's going to regress. Like Jason Tatum, he's great, he's ascending, but he also is what he is, so... He's not going to be able to keep up this torrid pace. He's going to regress towards the mean, maybe not, you know, to the mean, but like towards the mean and his shooting percentage will come down and his points per game will come down, all that stuff. And then uh, this happened. So it actually might be a blessing in disguise, this pause, because he might come back after this and, and be able to put up those numbers in like the uh, absent, the opportunity to get to play worse, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think that's like that is the thing to watch. Like, it's going to be hard to get a really clear-eyed assessment because if somebody plays poorly for a month, there's a lot of reasons why they might play poorly for a month that don't speak to their long-term trajectory. Yep. But really, there's a scenario here where Tatum over the next, you know, August, September, October, however deep the Celtics are able to go in this thing, he really does point out that uh uh-uh, what you saw in January, February, in the first half of March was who I am. Like, I am that good. And I think, you know, the big thing for the Celtics is avoiding disaster. Like, if they go deep, great. If they get knocked out in the second round, whatever, not a huge deal. We're going to be starting the new season before we can even, before we even, you know, can realize we're in the off season. We just don't want him to get hurt. Right. Like yep. the, and you know, I know, he, I know. There's been a lot of talk about, of course, the insurance he might have to protect him from an injury or something happening that might compromise his next contract. But we want him to get that max max deal for his level, and to look like he deserves it. We don't want any little blips in the in the system. So, like, I would imagine they will be a little bit careful with him too, right? He if he if he sprains a knee, if he if he if if he isn't a hundred, I don't know how hard you push in this environment. Um, because the Celtics are playing a long game here. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's funny because during this seeding process, you definitely don't push anyone because you assume that you're going to make the playoffs. And given this restart, who really cares who you play? Like, I'm, you know, and I honestly, full disclosure, I kind of feel that way about the regular season too. I know people get really... Uh, geeked up about oh if we get this seed versus that seed then we get an easier road than a harder road I just I'm sort of of the mindset if you're good enough play who's ever on your schedule and play whatever teams that you think you're least likely going to suffer an injury 
Because that's the thing. Like, I'm not worried about how good they are. I'm worried about, like, how physical they are. I'm more worried about how physical they are than about how good they are. So. You're uh, right. Like, it, 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 home court is so massive. But just play who's in front of you now. It, it has never been more true than it will be in this summer. Right. So if Tatum, you know, rolls an ankle during this weird seating schedule, I, I fine, shut him down. Like, as long as the Celtics make, get it in, get in, get into the playoffs, who cares? Um, but that being said, who is, you, you said go far second round of all the teams that are in, do you have a, do you have a champion in mind? Do you think, who do you think is going to come out? Yeah, I guess we're at the point we've got to make that call, don't we? Um, yeah. or at least we, we got to baselessly speculate about it. I think, I mean, if I had to bet your life on it, <laughs> it's not worth very much. It's not well, uh, good because I have no problem rolling the dice. Then, uh, I know if we had played this out normally, I think I would have had more sympathy for Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. But boy, it would not like they—they they are a one-player injury away from being a first-round out, in my opinion. Now it's their best player. But if Giannis had to miss two or three games in the first round for some reason, like, you know, like I could see Milwaukee going out. Like I, I don't, I, I've, I've never loved the high level talent right behind him. I think they're, they're deep, but they're not deep at the highest level. So I've, I'm a little suspicious of the Bucks. I'm probably gonna look stupid for saying that. <laughs> I, I think, I think if I were to bet, I'd bet on the Clippers, um, mainly because the Lakers. You know, with Avery departing, like the the misfit toys that they have surrounding LeBron and AD, like that is really a group of people that that have kind of bounced around the league, especially if we add J.R. Smith to the mix. <laughs> so I think I would take the Clippers, all things being equal. But there are probably four or five teams I could I could think, especially this year, actually winning the title, including the Raptors. Including if everything broke right and Kemba was healthy, the Celtics. Um, including, like, you know, even if things were to kind of fall their way, like, I could even see Denver going deep. Oh, interesting. Yeah, of course. And that's what is going to make this really fun because Denver is like a deep, solid team with a lot of really good players, you know, one really great player. Um, and similar to that, I sort of feel like this weird restart is perfect for a team like the Rockets mm. who are just sort of wonky and weird and you have to recalibrate your brain on how you play them so they're sort of like they might they might get the worst seeding possible they might lose a bunch in this sort of seeding round and then win the championship because people aren't prepared for them it's like I could totally picture that happening um I think ultimately, if I had to rank them, I think the top three teams are probably in the West. Um, I think I know before the before the shutdown, AD uh, was playing kind of listlessly. He wasn't in maybe he had a few nagging injuries. And if he comes back, I think the Lakers probably have the edge. But to your point, like <laughs> about J.R. Smith, LeBron is is so squeaky clean, man. He has like, you know, he's never been in trouble. He's always trying to do the right thing. He's outspoken about social justice issues. He just seems like the greatest guy, you know, has no vices. 
except for J.R. Smith. Like, why? Why would you introduce that to your situation? Uh, and to get a, to get rid of a guy, I mean, not get rid of, to replace a guy like Avery Bradley who knows his role, is not going to make mental mistakes, is going to play tough defense. And I know it's not a one-for-one, one, but it is on the roster. With J.R. Smith, a guy who most recently we saw beat up a protester. Like, oh my God. Like, oh, it's just such an unforced error. And I, I have no idea. I mean, kudos to LeBron because for on one on one side for just being so loyal to his friends. You know, we obviously know that with Maverick Carter and his mm-hmm. whole entourage who, who seem to do really well for themselves and have really just grabbed – life and opportunity and seem like great guys. J.R. Smith ain't one of them, man. <laughs> it's just oh, now it's you're, funny. You're, you're forgetting about the stabilizing influence on the Lakers of Dion Waiters and Rajon Rondo and JaVel McGee and some of the other kind of... <laughs> did they? Did I miss that? Did they really sign Dion Waiters? You know, he's on the roster. I wouldn't expect oh Dion Waiters God. is going to be is going to be playing very much. I mean, but again, you don't know. You really have no idea what this could look like, right? Like, that's the thing that's really interesting. So if you, the smart money is probably on the teams with the most, the deepest concentrations of high-end talent that can drag whatever survives of their roster to the title. Right. And if you've got AD and LeBron, that's a fairly good bet. That's why the Clippers are a good bet, too. Oh, t- Totally. And you know what? That's why the Celtics, if we just want to focus on the Celtics, are a good bet to maybe go deeper than we thought they would. Because... If you were to knock one or two of their top four guys out for some reason, for some length of time, the other guys remaining could easily step up and, you know, pick up their scoring, pick up the level of responsibility that they carry for the team. And you might be able to kind of, you know, get through that pretty much unscathed. That's not the true of every team. That's not true of every team, which is why I feel like Milwaukee is maybe the best team in the league, but uniquely vulnerable. Yeah, and same with the Lakers. Like if you if you knock out AD or LeBron, they're done. I literally think they're done. And um, the I think that also speaks to the argument for the Celtics. It's like who is their top two players? Like could you even actually name them? Like I feel like I could make an argument for five people. I have a I have a I'm pretty confident in my two choices. Um, they would be. One two, they'd be Tatum and Kemba. Yeah, that would that was my first, you know, my first thought as well. But they're an interesting sort of house of cards as well because sure. I think everyone, you know, even even knocking out a guy like Marcus Smart, you know, the role player extraordinaire, I think you have problems. So it's not it's not as bad as toppling over like losing Tatum is not as bad as losing LeBron. You know, if we're doing an SAT analogy. Um, losing Tatum is not as bad as losing Giannis um, for their respective teams, but it's still it's it would still be pretty bad if the Celtics lost their any part of their sort of cohesion. How are you feeling about Kemba given the struggles he had before we shut down? So I think the injury he was facing, the nagging stuff, was underplayed. Um, so I think if he comes back healthy, I'm not worried. I was more worried too when they played Philly because I think. Kemba was really stuck on Josh Richardson, who was just sort of abusing him. It, it, we we felt like it felt sort of like um, when IT used to get caught in switches and stuff. And the Celtics were were able to overcome that with scheme and 
um, offense, you know, the, the offensive production of IT outweighed, but he was also the focus of the offense. With Kemba, he's, while he's one of the Celtics' best players, he's complimentary when it comes to what, they, what they're trying to do with their wings. So it's, yeah, it's, I think... I think the injury and his, I think the injury is more worrisome than and the um in the way he fits in their scheme is more worrisome than the actual struggles that he had. I think he'll be fine. He's a vet. He's a dude that can get you 40 in an efficient way um you know sort of when you need it. So I'm not that worried. Um how are you feeling about Kemba? Hopeful that the time off has helped him get right. Um I, I do wonder if the conversation we're going to end up having about Kemba over the next couple of years is that he's quickly the third best guy on the team, despite the huge contract. Um, that could be good if, if it's a result of sort of the players around him ascending. But you do wonder if he's starting to have lower body injuries uh, as a small point guard, uh, how that's going to play out over the next couple of years. I think, like, I think ideally, right, he would not be your best player. Even this year, it would be ideal if he was not your best player in the playoffs. But I'm hopeful that what we saw in the in the end of the winter will kind of be resolved. I'm also kind of hopeful that Gordon Hayward will be another three or four months removed from that injury. We still talk about Hayward in terms of the timeline from that injury. And he might actually be a little bit better than he was, you know, the first few months of the season. So I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that the vets the vet stars are going to be playing better and that the kids can kind of get up to speed quickly. That said, a lot of question marks. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right on the Gordon Hayward stuff. Um, you're absolutely right on the Kemba stuff. I think they, they made those deals with that in mind that the back end of the deals aren't going to look as good. People are going to be older. It's the same, you know, it's the same old story. Whenever you, whenever you sign someone to a long-term deal, that's, around 30, you know, give or take a year or two north or south. It's always, okay, what's the end of this deal going to look like and, you know, you it's a it's a cost benefit. So, I think they're prepared for that and I think if Kemba in 3 years or or 2 years at this point from now, if Kemba is the Celtics' third best player, they're feeling really good about themselves. So, yeah. yeah. But anyway, we talked about J.R. Smith, but let's let's localize this to the Celtics. Who on this roster, including the the they can bring the um the two two ways as well. Who on this Celtics roster would be most likely to screw up the bubble? Yeah, it feels like I'm being asked asked to call somebody out on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that around on you. Okay. Um, I would <laughs> like. Maybe Marcus Smart isn't even susceptible to COVID. Maybe he would just get it and just fight through it. He wouldn't. He'd be asymptomatically asymptomatic. Like he wouldn't even have traces of it, even though he had it. See, Maybe. <laughs> we we got we got to spend less time than we already spend together. Because I thought you were. It's gonna not say, much time. I know, I know. But I thought you were going to say some one of the young guys like Romeo Langford or you know any of these or Grant Williams, you know something like that. But no, I mean, Marcus Smart is the biggest, you know, the most volatile guy on the Celtics, and I love him dearly, but I don't think anyone, for better or worse, is going to forget the the picture frame punching. How about, uh, is there anybody on the Celtics who's uniquely drawn to Disney rides? Like, could they want to slip out, maybe kind of hop on the roller coaster a little bit? 
I would say Grant Williams. Uh, he just he seems like such a kid at heart. He loves board games. That's the that's like the my my first instinct. What do you think? Mm, yeah, that'd probably be mine too. Um, I mean, the good thing is probably none of these guys are going to screw it up. But uh, uh, just because they've got Brad at the helm, and I think they're going to take it seriously. Yeah, um, for sure. But we had to we had to make this Celtics central, and uh, we already said Joel Embiid and uh, J.R. Smith are going to screw it up. All right, so. so Grant Williams, don't don't prove us right. Uh, <laughs> stay away from the roller coasters. You you gotta you gotta spend your time switching on defense. <laughs> All right, cool man. So that's uh that's sort of our Celtics talk. We're going to because we haven't been doing this for a while. We want to end on sort of something different. So. I don't know about you, Ryan, but while this sort of pause has been happening, I've been listening to a lot of music. So I kind of want to do a quick little album review. So we both listened to uh, Brian Fallon's Painkillers album, and uh, I'm interested to hear uh, what you think about it. Yeah, and before we even dive in, I think it's probably worth, like for those that uh, don't have the misfortune of knowing us, when Brent and I are hanging out, usually we're, the conversation will wander from basketball to politics to music to whatever else. Uh, and so we're just going to kind of let a little bit of that life into the back end of the podcast. If you only care about basketball, uh, we'll see you next episode. You can, yeah. you can safely, safely kind of delete the pod at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like actually, you know, one of the things that did happen, you know, during uh, during quarantine is... Because, like, they're, like, first of all, because I'm suddenly single, and second of all, because I'm basically stuck at home, is I've put a lot more time in playing guitar over the last three months than I have in the last ten years. Awesome. Yeah, so, like, I mean, my, like I'm not playing well by any means, but I'm certainly playing well for me. Um, and you're right, like, it's been, like, a ton of music. Um, uh, so, yeah, this is a good topic. But, uh, yeah, like, so Brian Fallon, right? So, interesting guy. Um, are Were you a fan of his for... You, have you been a fan of his for a long time? No, or no. you weren't a fan with the anthem, or like, like did you did you just kind of come to him with this record? So I, so this is sort of my experience with Brian Fallon. So I'm one of my obsessions is this singer song. I've already mentioned him on the pod before, but this singer songwriter Corey Brandon. He's from uh, Memphis, Tennessee. I just I I love him, and uh, he's so he just I find his songwriting so great, and I've seen him a million times. He and Brian are friends. They sort of run in the same singer-songwriter circles. Um, in terms of Gaslight Anthem, I, I obviously know the the hits. You know, like I, I 45, I, I listened to a bunch when it came out years ago. Um, so I always liked that. I've always been sort of drawn to hard-driving music, sort of post-punk music, that kind of stuff, and even pop-punk. And so that's like that was my... Uh, exposure to Gaslight, but um, recently with Corey Brandon, he started an Instagram show where he interviews, basically has conversations with different songwriters, so one was Brian Fallon, one was Adam Lazar from Taking Back Sunday, and just a, a bunch of other people, and so that's where I was like, man, I gotta listen to him, and then I forgot about it, and I was in the car, and I was listening to uh, Spotify, just like having them pick songs for me, and they played Rosemary off this album, this this Painkillers album. And I was like, holy shit, like, what what is this song? Like, if you had to write a song that was uniquely Brendan Jackson, this would be it. And so I looked, you know, at a stoplight, I looked, and it was Brian Fallon. So I, I immediately, when I got home, I listened to the whole album. 
And so that was, this album was sort of on my rotation during this three months time, which is why I wanted to talk about it. So I'm glad you uh, were amenable to that. So um, yeah. What about you? Have you, had you been exposed to him? Yeah. I mean, I saw the Gaslight Anthem when I lived in Toronto. I saw them play live. Um, And I think it was behind the 59 sound they were touring. And like, that's a really good record for sure. Uh, and they were good live. They weren't great live. Like, you know what I mean? But I think they were good. I'm really predisposed to like the kind of music that Brian Fallon likes, I would say. Like, <laughs> yeah. his stuff, like, he's very much a guy who's mining other artists for what he does. <laughs> yep. Right? And, like, and I don't think in a bad way. I think, like, that's, like, that it comes, I think he's he's nothing if not sincere. Like, I don't think, that, I don't think it's calculated in a nasty way. I think he legitimately loves Bruce Springsteen records. Uh, and so do I. Like, I mean, I don't think I've, any, I've seen anybody live more than Springsteen. I was waiting for how long this conversation would start, would be going on until his name came up. Well, because... you did the, you did this to, to, to yourself because, like, <laughs> if it was, if, it, if we were talking about Run DMC, we wouldn't be talking about Springsteen. But, uh, and I, I'm not just trying to inject Springsteen in every conversation I have, despite what my reputation might be with certain people. But yeah, like they, you know, they come, they, they drink from the same well for sure. Oh, a thousand percent. You know, the glockenspiel and sort of the lyrical themes and sort of the, um, this kind of sense of, uh, like a thing that he does, Fallon does, that sort of the Holt Steady do, that Springsteen does is this sort of beautiful loser thing. Yep. Uh, these people kind of staggering through the world, a little bit imprisoned to bad things that have happened in the past. Uh, still really hopeful despite challenges. And then there's a certain world that you kind of color around that. And I think both Springsteen and maybe Craig Finn of the Hold Steady do it better than Fallon. But what I thought listening to this record is how tuneful it is. Like, melodically, he's actually really, really strong. I think probably stronger than he was on this record than he was with the Gaslight Anthem. I think it's a really, like, I think these songs are pretty durable. You know, I find like you can just kind of play it again and again and again and the songs don't wear out. Right, for sure. Despite being very simple. Like, they're all very simple songs. Oh, it's GCD, right? Like, it's yeah. like a lot of that stuff is. Yeah, yeah. But what's cool is that, like, some songs have two choruses, and it works. Some mm. songs have one chorus at the end, right? And it works. And it's just, that's why I find, like, it's almost more impressive than a band that, like, Queen or Rush or something like that, where they're just like, okay, you're anthemic, you're amazing you i hate cr- both those bands by the way no you don't stop. i hate them i hate them both i could just i just i can't even with either of them my god we're gonna have to have another pod but um so um but there's it's you know this album like you said is is still so good despite being so simple and it's funny because i you know after whenever i get into an album or into an artist i try to watch a few live versions watch a few interviews on youtube and i heard one interview with him where he was just like, yeah, I, I like simple songs and I like Bruce Springsteen. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was just like, uh, you just hit the nail on the head. That is your sound. Simple songs, Bruce Springsteen. Um, you know, there's not yeah. a lot of punk in him. Like, I mean, like he looks punk, especially right. if he's running around sleeveless. Yeah. But even in the Gaslight Anthem, they felt more rock and roll to me. Like they felt more indebted to rock and roll than they did to punk. Like there was a little bit of stuff that had a little bit more bite to it. But yeah, he, he seems to have... And maybe it's just the punk ethos around this is what I like and go fuck you if you don't like it. Yeah. And what he happens to like is the kind of music he plays. Like I know he's got a new he's he's done a couple of records since this one, neither of which I've spent a lot of time with. Same, yeah. But what I have heard 
Uh, I think the record he put out this year is is softer uh, and gentler, but again, it's still tuneful, and you can you can see that he is in a place he's really comfortable, and like there's no artifice to it. I think you have to sort of accept him on his own terms. If you're looking for somebody to innovate and change the world, it's not going to be Brian Fallon. Um, but the ability to write, like I've like after like years of sort of playing music and even more years of listening to music and going to shows and stuff. And that's actually how I got my start in journalism. I was actually writing about music for a few years. That was the thing that I really cared about. Um, the ability to write a melody that sticks is the hardest thing, I think, oh, for a songwriter. E- easily. And I feel like he has 10 of those on this album. Yeah, I know. I agree. Yeah. Um, and, and what I love about this album, too, is you can skip around, sure, but... I you can listen to it start to finish and it is a cohesive album. It it sort of narrates a story. It sort of it 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 just all all the songs just flow together and I I think that is a sort of a lost art in this streaming world in the YouTube world. Um it sort of was that way as well after after LPs went away and it was easier to skip around, you know, with CDs and stuff. Um but like in the absence of radio to telling you what the hits are, what the top 40 is, it's kind of cool that now people can go back and play an album start to finish from a streaming service and really just soak it in, which is what I did with this one. You know, again, the quarantine benefits of quarantine silver linings uh, edition yep. again, like I, I actually have, I bought a turntable. Oh, nice. Uh, and I've sort of been very slowly accumulating, you know, vinyl records. I might have 30 of them now. But I'm really trying to only buy kind of like what I would deem sort of like five-star records, the stuff that I just love. So mostly it's stuff I know, and there's not everything's not available. But, but it's kind of cool in that quarantine has kind of created a little bit of a window to actually sit and listen to a record when you're not doing anything else. And it's been, like, I don't think I've done that since I was a kid, where I'd like, what are you doing tonight? I'm going to listen to this record. <laughs> yeah. The record exactly. is always background to something else, even when you're really invested in listening to it, I find. Um, totally. But I've, I've had a chance to actually sit and just, like, I'm just going to play this and kind of try and get to know it and speak its language a little bit, which is not a thing I've done for a long time. Like, so that general slowing down, I think, has helped um, with music, amongst other things. I appreciate your desire to focus on five star records. I couldn't do it because I it would turn very expensive, and it would also, um, you know, set me up for disappointment. Where if I found a record I was really trying to get, uh, and it was scratched or damaged, that would really bum me out. So what I do with my records is I will go to a show, and it's just this new vogue in the past like five years or so that that artists new artists will press on vinyl which is like so silly because part of what the recording vinyl, right yeah exactly like, part of what made vinyl so great was the way it was recorded not the way it was pressed and how it's played but anyway i don't have to get pedantic about it but what it does do is it supports the artist and it helps me build a record collection and it builds a memory of a show i went to and like i don't even know if i'll ever have that again and I hope we will, but I'm pretty doom and gloom about it. Yeah, that between like not being able to travel, not being able to go to live shows, like those are the two things that really are. are, are I mean, fundamentally, I can't date anyone really effectively at this point. So, <laughs> no. like, those are the three things I'm really missing at this point in life due to the quarantine. 
And honestly, probably music and travel are more important at this point than the other thing. (laughs) (laughs) So did you have like a song that spoke to you the most on this album? No, because we came up with the idea to do this only a couple of days ago. Um, so I've only played it maybe three times through. But but I but eventually stuff will kind of creep out a little bit. I think Wonderful Life, like as a as sort of like a statement of purpose, and yeah, and as like even just musically, kind of with sort of the way he sort of layered that with Springsteen as so instrumentation. Springsteen, yeah. Like <laughs> I, I think that's like a, like a really strong opener to that record, especially because it was like his first record after kind of I don't know if he dissolved the Gaslight Anthem, but walking away from them. And he sort of said, you know, this is really the space I'm going to occupy. <laughs> and <Yep. laughs> if you were expecting something way different than what I used to do, you're wrong. I'm just going to go deeper into it. So I yeah. think I think that song is, I really like that song. But I think it's interesting, right? Like, it'll probably take 10 or 15 plays for me to fully kind of digest it. And I would say that uh, it could be another song entirely just because there are so many here that are so good. Exactly. Yeah. If I had to pick, obviously, Rosemary was the one that spoke to me at first. I love A Wonderful Life. Um, but this album, too, the more you dive into it and, and soak it in, it also is one of those things that changes. So, like, all of a sudden, like, Rosemary or, or uh, A Wonderful Life will get played out. And then you'll be listening to, like, what I'm doing is, like, Smoke or Honey Magnolia or Mojo Hand. Like, I just... And it just evolves and just goes in waves. And it's just, it's one of those records. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. And I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. And if not, I hope you did shut it off. (laughs) Um, But I think given that um, the season's so uncertain and stuff like that, um, and Ryan and I like talking to each other and we'd love to hear from you guys, we're going to do stuff like this too. So if it pisses you off, we're sorry. Um, But we like it. Well, you know, we'll create a little segment intro music so people, when they hear it, if they hate it, they can just, they can just disappear on us. That's smart, yeah. Um, but yeah, I also think, like, as much as we're giving the players a lot of kind of, you know, a lot of latitude to kind of ramp up a little more slowly, we've been potting for a few months. You know what? We are finely tuned podcasters at our peak, but, but right now we're a little rusty. Oh, for sure. You know, this is training camp and it's live. <laughs> Awesome, Ryan. Well, we're about an hour in, so let's call it. And um, yeah, let's uh, plan on being back next week because we got more. We're gonna have more news coming out, and um, we're gonna we want to do this. We like basketball. We like music. Um, but anyway, do all those things that we we want you to do, like uh, subscribe to the podcast, rate us five stars, email us at. G- uh, CelticsHubPod at gmail.com What else am I missing, Ryan? Wear a fucking mask. Wear a fucking mask. Please wear a fucking mask. Alright, later, dude. Talk to you later. I'm gonna flip that, but I had to use it twice. Blood